Welcome to Sportfire, the sports comedy podcast that is talking about something that actually matters this week. The new law that's restricted the odds of a free and fair election in Georgia so much they're starting to look like the Baltimore Orioles playoff odds. I'm your host, Adam Weinrib, and make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And we're keeping it serious this week because this is the only sports topic that hit the airwaves in recent days that really mattered to me. Major League Baseball took a stand against the inherent rights violations baked into the Georgia bill by moving the All-Star game set to take place in Atlanta this summer to Colorado and sending the news cycle into a frenzy. Stick to sports! No. So I made an effort to bring on someone who could really speak properly to what's just occurred and what will occur moving forward. I spoke with Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It was an amazing conversation, and I'm going to start the podcast with that. Bob is incredible. Take it away. Yeah, you have such an awesome treasure trove in that office, too. This is amazing. (laughs) Uh, There's a few things that... You know, we collected along the way, and so uh, I, I strategically positioned my camera so it looks like I'm a whole lot more neater than yeah. what I'm <laughs> I mean, you can see behind me, I've got like a pile of hats over here. If I tip the camera a little bit, it's like it's just jerseys. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Uh, any yeah anyway i i really appreciate your time i did want to start off by asking about you personally you have an awesome origin story how did you find yourself in this position as the president of this incredible museum what was the journey like that led you here it's a almost improbable journey you know for me to go from being a volunteer as i was in 1993 with this organization to now trying to run this great institution, I I can't say that I ever foresaw that coming. I don't know if there's any way that you could ever envision that happening. And for me, I just wanted to get involved with the organization, wanted to support it any way that I can, but I never envisioned that it would turn into a career. And one of the most gratifying opportunities that I think I could have ever embarked on, uh, but improbable at best. And so, but it became a labor of love for me. When I first was introduced to this organization and I considered myself to be a baseball fan and man, I quickly discovered, you don't know as much about this game as you thought you knew because there was this entire chapter of baseball in American history that I really did not know much about. I knew the name Satchel Page and Cool Papa Bell and Josh Gibson. These are transcending types of names Most baseball fans have at least heard those names, even if you don't know how great they were, you've heard those names. But I had no idea, as I oftentimes say about the breadth, the depth, the scope, the magnitude that this history represented both on and off the field. And honestly, Adam, I became almost engrossed in it. I wanted to learn as much as I could and I didn't want to keep it to myself. And so, and then you started to meet the players. And then after having met the players and particularly my dear friend, the late great Buck O'Neill, mm-hmm. I fell even deeper in love with this story. But again, I never saw it leading me down a career path. You know, it was going to be something that I had felt like I was going to dedicate as much of my time as I possibly could 
to help this institution grow. And as fate would have it, I was put into a, an opportunity uh, first as director of marketing, eventually vice president of marketing. And now 10 years ago, 10 years ago this week, as we're recording this, I stepped back into this office as president of this great institution. Amazing. Um, I mean, you, you talk about the players, you know, obviously I am, you know, uh, as a young man, I, I wasn't in the same position as you. I met a uh, double duty Radcliffe at, at a oh, hall yeah. of fame induction. Um, and it just sort of, it changed my perspective too. So I, I completely understand, you know, sort of falling in love with the game that way. Um, now, luckily we, we are, the museum is reopened uh, yes. in, in some capacity. What, what was it like that first day when the doors were open to the public again uh, this spring? <laughs> I, I jokingly say it was like a publisher's clearinghouse moment. The first visitor, the day that we opened, and my good friend, the great writer over at the Kansas City Star, columnist Bahe Gregorian, came down to hang out with me on that day, waiting to see who would be the first person to walk through the doors. And it was, and again, and another interesting twist of fate. Our first guest was from all places, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. And a young lady who was in town with her husband, her husband was doing some business here and she heard that we were open and she decided that she would come out to explore the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And man, when she walked through the door, it did. It felt like a publisher's clearinghouse moment because we'd been closed for three months by that time. You know, the place was dark. We hadn't seen any visitors or anything. And, and when she walked through the door, I wanted to release the balloons and the confetti <laughs> and everything else. Now, we didn't have a check for it like they do with Publishers Clearinghouse, <laughs> but everything else, man, I was just so excited. I was elated, actually, that there was finally life back in a place that brings life to this once forgotten chapter of baseball and American history. And while it, it hasn't been business as usual, it has been business again. And, and so, yeah, no, we were really excited and we've been open ever since. You know, we're not seeing the numbers that we would typically see, but people are really starting to venture back out, you know, being precautious and mask up and doing all the things that are required of them to do. And, and I can tell you, we've not had one disgruntled visitor about having to wear a mask as they went through this museum. And so it's been great to be able to welcome people back to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. That's amazing. I can't wait until I get to return again. One of the things that we definitely missed out on the most, uh, I mean, at least for me in 2020, mm -hmm. um, were the amazing 100th anniversary celebrations that I know you had planned. Um, do you have any insight for me on how you're planning to adapt those celebrations for 2021? Well, you, what I was really the most proud of, Adam, is that we were able to salvage some of last year's, what we thought was going to be a historic celebration, because we felt and still believe that the 100th anniversary was a milestone that was as significant as any, not in baseball history, but in American history. It was our, obviously our job to help other people understand why we felt that way, and we were prepared to do so. We had a great celebration planned. But it doesn't make 101 any less significant. So the platform is still there, even though it's not that milestone 100th. So we created Negro Leagues 101. So yes, it is the 101st anniversary and the continuation of the celebration. But it's also the spirit of an introductory to the Negro Leagues college course. 
So this becomes now a pretty sweeping national educational initiative, but for all ages of learners, but including the ultimate development of a 101 level collegiate course. You know, those courses that were the only ones that I passed when I was in college. And, and so, but it's a great way for us to introduce this story to the masses and to hopefully move into curriculums around history uh, on those college campuses. And so we're excited about this. We are working frantically to have the college course ready by the fall of this coming year, certainly no later than the spring. But our goal is to actually have it ready by the fall and start pitching it to some colleges and universities to be included into their history, uh, core history curriculum. I love it. What, what an amazing way to, to carry this on to another year. I, and I, unfortunately, I graduated in 2012. I would have taken that class twice. I wish that I would have taken it in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. I, I only yeah. wish it had come along a little but sooner. I, I would have taken it twice because I might have needed to take it twice to pass it, but <laughs> I would have taken it in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh man, that that's so cool. Um, so obviously the the news cycle this week though is buzzing a bit after uh, Major League Baseball did take the very impressive uh, and you know that a large step in moving the All Star Game from Atlanta ultimately to Colorado. Uh, yeah. Now, were were you privy to any of the conversations with Major League Baseball and and Commissioner Manfred before the decision was made? Um, and and at least how do you sort of feel about the steps that the league has taken here? Yeah, now we were kind of on the outside looking in and and I feel for my friends in Atlanta, particularly those at the Atlanta Braves, because I know what an all-star game means. We hosted the all-star game in 2012 under a complete set of different circumstances. We weren't dealing with any of the issues that we're dealing with now and particularly having not to, to deal with a pandemic. But I also know what it means to play host to that game. And, and I know how much work goes in on the pre-planning side. This is a year or so of planning. So I know that there has to be great disappointment within the organization and, and particularly those who have probably worked very diligently to lay down those plans in cooperation with Major League Baseball for the Midsummer Classic. And so, yeah, my heart, my heart goes out to those guys but I also understand why Major League Baseball felt the need to do so. A lot of the conversation, too, in the aftermath of, of the decision has sort of regarded Henry Aaron and, and yeah. the, you know, the difference in, in ways we can properly honor him now that the game has moved. Um, did you have a relationship with him at all? And, and how do you believe that baseball will ultimately honor his legacy this summer, regardless of the venue? Yeah, no, we had a wonderful relationship with Mr. Aaron. And, and it's for me, it moves beyond professional, personal. Henry Aaron was my all-time favorite Major League Baseball player, my childhood idol as a kid growing up in small-town Georgia, Crawfordville, Georgia, about 80 miles east of Atlanta, 50 miles west of Augusta, where they're getting ready to tee it up in the Masters this week. And, and so, yeah, his passing has left a tremendous void in my heart, but also within the Negro Leagues Museum family. Uh, he was an important figure, as you can well imagine, made many visits here to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I had the amazing opportunity to walk him through this museum, which still remains today the most significant touring experience I've ever embarked on. And that's having had 
a chance to walk some amazing dignitaries through this museum and a plethora of athletes and entertainers. And as I always say, with no disrespect to any of them, they are not Henry Aaron in the eyes, mind, and heart of this kid from Crawfordville, Georgia. And so I have no doubt, baseball, I think even more so than the other sports, they seem to always find a very dramatic, compelling way to celebrate its heroes. Henry Aaron is one of those great heroes from baseball because his career transcends the game. Yeah, Henry Aaron is one of the game's all-time greatest players. Henry Aaron is also one of the game's all-time greatest people. And, and what Henry Aaron did post-baseball career, in many regards, is as instrumental or important as what he did on the field. But for us, it was the Negro Leagues that gave us Henry Aaron, that gave him the platform to fashion this Hall of Fame career, to hit 755 home runs, and then put him in a position where post-career, baseball career, he could go out and do his life works, become this philanthropist, become this incredible businessman, become a civil rights icon in the process, you know, to dedicate his life to trying to improve the quality of life for so many who have been marginalized in this country. You know, and, and so that's the Henry Aaron that Major League Baseball, I'm sure, will do an extraordinary job of paying tribute. I don't care where the venue is, whether it's Atlanta, had it been here in Kansas City, as we all had hoped that it might, you know, because once it was moved, we were certainly in the running to mm -hmm. get it, or whether it's going to be at Coors Field, you can rest assured that it will be an extraordinary tribute, and they will find ways to pay honor to Henry Aaron and all that we lost, all those legendary ball players that we've lost over the last year plus, including this year, you know, Don Sutton and Phil Negro, guys like that, you know. And so early on, I'm scratching my head like, wait a minute, this is 2020 all over again with the loss of these legendary ball players. And, and so, yeah, I, I have no doubt that they'll do an extraordinary job. They always do. Yeah, I, I recently read uh, Howard Bryant's sort of amazing Henry Aaron retrospective. And so, I mean, reading that led me to believe sort of that that moving the game and then, you know, taking that stance was sort of the best way to honor his civil rights legacy before even figuring out a way yeah. to do it in person. Do, yeah. do you sort of agree with that notion? Well, I, I, I do, because it put baseball in a very difficult place. And historically, baseball was at the forefront of social change in this country. When Jackie takes the field as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers, he not only helped change the game, he helped change this country. And that was, in essence, the beginning of a civil rights movement in this country. And so while baseball certainly had earned its vilification, because it had been vilified for not allowing Blacks to play, but when it opened its door, our country follows suit. And, and, and Adam, I think it speaks to the reverence that baseball held and to a large degree still holds in our society. So I honestly, I don't think that baseball had any real choice but to move this game. And I know it was a difficult decision 
for all involved. But I do think it was the right decision, particularly if you're talking about celebrating the spirit of Henry Aaron. And, and so, yeah, it, it's one of those things that we will just now go on and figure out, again, ways to continue to celebrate what this game represents. Baseball has taken a tremendous stance in, in terms of wanting to impact social injustice and civil rights in this country. And it has an inherent responsibility, a social responsibility, a civic responsibility, and absolutely an historic responsibility, just as we do here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. We, we embrace those responsibilities on all levels because that is what is at the crux of this story that we preserve and those courageous athletes who overcame tremendous social adversity to play the game that they love. Mr. Kendrick, I, I truly appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I, I will say that uh, you mentioned hosting the All-Star Game in 2012. Uh, that's when I first visited Kansas City. That's when I first visited the museum. Um, my, it was obviously an incredible experience. My, my family went through the whole tour, and, and at the front door, we met you and we shook your hand. Uh, yeah. and that, really, that really made an impact on, on me, my family, and we sort of can't wait to get back. So I, I thank you for that, um, and I thank you for all that you do. It's, it's been a complete honor to get to talk to you today. Oh, man, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for reaching out and you know, uh, we're excited about baseball being back and fans being back in the ballpark, even in a reduced level. We had our first visit from a major league baseball team last week when the Texas Rangers came by and, and Adam, it just started to feel a little bit more normal. You know, we've uh, turned the museum into a COVID-19 vaccination clinic and we've vaccinated over 2000 people here at the museum. And this clinic debuted about a year from the time that we had shut our doors. And in its own way, it felt a little like vindication because it felt like we were now fighting back. You know, coronavirus had been the bully that coronavirus took our lunch money every day for the last year. I mean, we had to find a different way to try to get to school. And that was coronavirus still trying to take our lunch money. <laughs> and it finally felt like we fought back. We are fighting back. And we still got some work to do. This journey is not over. But there is a level of vindication, it feels like. And I do feel like we're moving back toward a path of normalcy. And so that is exciting. And the celebration will continue. And people will continue to be in love with the game of baseball. And you know, I'm glad that the doors and gates are open for people to get back into the ballparks again, slowly but surely. Me too. I, I do feel like we're fighting back. You're totally right. And, and thank you for all the work you've done in that fight. And Mr. Kendrick, I really appreciate your time. Adam, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Bob Kendrick, everyone, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. If you have not visited in Kansas City, you have to visit in Kansas City. And if you have gone or if you haven't, they are a fantastic resource and a great place to be sending your money in this current climate uh, when we're starting to get back to normal. But like Bob said, we're clearly not quite there yet. So anything you can do to help, we would all appreciate and, and you'd get a lot back too because you got to check out that museum. It is an amazing place. Now, I wasn't going to do a monologue this week because 
it's a pretty serious episode. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but then I watched the Texas Rangers home opener and saw their full crowd of 40,000 people and realized I had another target for scorn. So without further ado, not a full monologue, but let's do the Texas Rangers minute. <clears throat> Texas Governor Greg Abbott declined to throw the first pitch at the Rangers opener because Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game from Georgia. He also declined to help Texans in a pandemic because of, I assume, Colin Kaepernick or something? I don't know, I can't keep track. Do you people think cancel culture is good or bad? Because you live by it as a credo, so I'm guessing good, but you also hate consequences, so I'm guessing bad. Abbott also claimed the state of Texas wouldn't listen to MLB's request to hold its major events there, but based on the Texas Rangers games I've seen so far, we don't need to worry about the World Series. The Rangers had full capacity at their home opener, which sounds crazy until you realize a crowd of 40,000 Texans only includes like five human souls. So it's within CDC guidelines. Why can't you just let people live their lives, said the Texas crowd to us and also us to them. Fans were required to wear a mask at all times in their seats unless they were doing essential functions like cheering, booing, or eating someone else's positive COVID swap. So come on down to a Texas Rangers game where the pandemic's not over until we decide it is. Last April. Coming up next to close out this show, I did decide to speak to people on both sides of this issue. So from the side of pure evil, I spoke to Georgia Congresswoman Kathleen Taylor Hunt about the past few turbulent days. Major League Baseball has made the bold decision to move the All-Star Game away from Atlanta following the passage of new strict Georgia voting rights laws that have proven restrictive to African-American communities. Here to talk to us about the league's unprecedented decision is Georgia Congresswoman Kathleen Taylor Hunt. Thanks for joining us, Ms. Hunt. It's a pleasure to be here, Adam, though um, I wish it were under better circumstances. Under what other circumstances would I be talking to a Georgia congresswoman on a sports podcast? You got me there. The liberal media wouldn't touch me unless they had to. Oh, I can't believe they moved the game to a freaking blue state. Georgia is a blue state. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'd love to know what these last few days have been like leading up to MLB informing Atlanta that they would be moving the Midsummer Classic. Well, in the final few days, we made a counterproposal to try to keep the game in Georgia with just a few rule changes. Sadly, MLB did not agree with our stipulations. Oh, uh, really? No, I hadn't heard about this. Like, like what rules? First and foremost, we wanted to make sure anyone could attend the game, but no refreshments will be provided to anyone sitting more than 150 feet away from home plate. Isn't that... Almost every fan, except the people in the most expensive seats. See, those low-income fans don't usually turn out anyway, and if they do, well, they don't usually pay for their soda, if you know what I mean. I'm definitely going to pretend I don't know what you mean. We also propose getting rid of the boxes. Oh, drop boxes? Luxury boxes, but only for um certain-looking people. So, minorities and immigrants. No, heavens no, and I can't believe you would even insinuate that. We'd welcome European immigrants in our luxury boxes. So, yeah, I was right. But since you mentioned it, even though the game is moving, we are still planning to make it a bit more difficult to vote for the All-Star Game via Dropbox here in Georgia. Sure. 
Now, the only place you can drop your ballot is in one ballot box on the green at the 17th hole at Augusta. That's extremely inconvenient, and it's impossible for anyone who isn't a member at the most exclusive golf club in the world. But does anyone really need to vote for the All-Star Game, honestly? I'm just asking questions. Yes, they do. Got it. So this whole thing does affect many innocent Braves fans who definitely bought season tickets in order to get access to the All-Star Game. Do you have anything planned to make that purchase worth their while? Absolutely. We are proud to partner with the Braves to release an all-new ticket package we're calling the James Crow Package. Like Jim Crow? No, not at all. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly the same name. I don't see the similarity. Didn't think you would. Okay, fine. We can change the name. It's Jim Eagle now. Great. The ticket package features premium seats to 12 NL East games at a discounted rate, but we will be enforcing a strict ID policy at the gate. No one gets seated without bringing several different forms of valid ID. Got it. So you just love all forms of government ID. That's what this is about. But if you bring a vaccine passport to the stadium and try to show it to us, by Christ's power, you will be shot on site. That makes more sense. And it was going to be sponsored by Delta and Coca-Cola, but due to unforeseen circumstances, we are now proud to have the support of God-fearing brands like Spirit Airlines and Jolt Cola. Two clearly inferior sponsors. Can I do a commercial real quick? I I would rather you didn't. Jolt Cola, the soda that breaks you. Look, Adam, this is all one big misunderstanding, okay? This legislation isn't biased against one race or one party. It's about making things fair again. And we should be bringing the same mindset to baseball, by the way. I... I, I mean, I am in favor of making things more fair in baseball. I'm, I'm certainly not against that. Then you'll love George's new idea. We're trying to make replay review arguments between managers and umpires more even-handed by introducing an impartial third party, an angry extra umpire who hates managers. That does not sound impartial at all. This is all in the interest of fairness. What, you want us to put a manager in charge? No, just not an umpire. You people are impossible. So, Miss Taylor Hunt, what's next for you and the state of Georgia? Are are you having any second thoughts after all this bad press? Why would I be having second thoughts? I've got the full support of Spirit Airlines and Jolt, the two greatest products in the world. Who needs All-Star Game anyway? Fans keep voting all Yankees, and the last thing we need is another Yankee invasion in Georgia. No, we certainly wouldn't want that. Plus, personally, I'm all crossfitted up, and I'll be ready to do my violent pull-ups in the general direction of anyone who crosses me. Do not test me. I have the worst pull-up form in American history, and I'm not afraid to use it. I'll angrily thrash and wiggle at the problem till it's gone. Congresswoman Kathleen Taylor Hunt, everybody. Abolish the universal DH. God, you are the worst. Now, in real life, that was Ava Langford, not a congresswoman. She is an actress, and she is a native Georgian. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to have her shout out some organizations that could probably use our help right now in the wake of all of this nonsense. Ava, where should people be directing themselves to? Hey, so a couple of Georgia organizations that would be really great. Send your money is the Asian American Advocacy Fund and Fair Fight. 
And then a New York City organization that I love is Teens Take Charge. Amazing. Um, so everybody, this is a time to be spending that extra cash uh, and helping people who really need it. Obviously, we've got a lot going on. Uh, and then use any extra money you have to kicking Kathleen Taylor Hunt out of Congress. She sounds like she's mostly all about CrossFit and she probably does not belong there. So maybe if you have a couple extra bucks to spare, let's 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 get her out of there. Uh, Ava, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. A million thanks to Bob Kendrick and Ava Langford. Make sure to follow up with those organizations mentioned. No final flame this week. Be kind to each other. We'll see you next Thursday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.